This is the Daniel Alonzo Wealth on the Beach podcast. I'm a 20-year entrepreneur, investor, and business coach. I've spoken in front of over 300,000 people and been featured in Success Magazine. I became a millionaire at 24. I saved a million dollars in cash by age 28. And I am going to personally help you get totally, absolutely financially independent by creating massive passive income. Join me now. It's episode number 28. This is the Wealth on the Beach podcast with Daniel Alonzo, and I am your host. So excited to be with this unbelievable guest. I mean, I'm, I'm super, super fired up uh, about learning about this dude. Uh, his name is Stephen Kuhn. And seriously, check this out, man. What could be more interesting than a decorated combat veteran who turns failing businesses into success across Europe, across the United States, and has been handpicked to consult some of the most influential people in the world. Someone who has been a bodyguard to rock stars, we're going to definitely talk about that one, run <laughs> international organizations for celebrities, manage musicians, sports personalities. If this sounds impressive, it is. That's Stephen Kuhn, man. So Stephen... <laughs> Tell me, man, what's it like to be a bodyguard? And is there anybody famous we can wow. bodyguarded? <laughs> yes, there has been. There's, there's, you know, there's a few, but uh, the biggest one was Mick Jagger. And okay. I have to say, I have to, it was a three-week gig in Berlin. His, his bodyguard uh, hurt himself in, in UK and didn't come to the German tour with him. And I, so, I, so I heard that on the radio. And it's, so for me, it's not so impressive that I was his bodyguard. It's how I got to be his bodyguard, which was for me – showed me what's possible in life. So I heard on the radio that uh, his bodyguard was staying in the UK. And I was in Berlin, Germany at the time. And I said, wow, they, they need a bodyguard. So I literally went to his hotel, waited for him, walked up to him and said, I'm your new bodyguard. And they were like, who, who sent you? And I said, I sent me. Like, who are you? And I said, I'm Stephen Kuhn, combat veteran. You know, I've, um, I, I'm, I speak German. I know the city and I'm a bodyguard. And he wow. said to me, he said, talk to CJ. CJ was his assistant or something. And uh, CJ said, one question, you get the job. And I said, what's the question? He said, do you know where to get the best German sausage? I said, I do. He goes, you're hired. And he said, $400 a day, okay? I was like, perfect. That was it. <laughs> that was it, huh? That was it. And that was just, that's, that's how I think. I think, okay, possibilities, it's there, I'll do it. There's no, there's no filter for me. I just go straight to the source. It's, it's strange it, that way. Well, we're, we're going to talk a lot about that. You're going to teach all of our, um, you know, I, I talk about, you know, building businesses. I've been building businesses for 22 years now. Actually, matter of fact, it's almost 23 years now. And, and, and we have been, uh, you know, our, our main, main focus is, you know, young entrepreneurs, you know, trying right. to get people in business. So we're going to talk a lot about Great. your mindset. But before we do, Stephen, I want to talk about a little bit about your childhood, your parents. What did your parents do? And, and how was your upbringing? Okay. Yes. Well, uh, let me see. Uh, my mother and father, I was born in 1967. So that gives my age away. <clears throat> and uh, my mom got, to, well, they got divorced when we were, I think we were three or four. And then, <clears throat> so I saw my father on Sundays, every, every Sunday until I left for the army when I was 18. My mother was married a few more times. 
so we, we moved around a lot. Um, I pretty much hated myself in high school. I hated, uh, you know, pretty much everything I stood for. <clears throat> so my only goal in life was to get out of there. Um, and that was, um, my, my, my way out was the army was, was, you know, just the way it was, it's my daughter, <clears throat> just the way it was. So I, you know, I, I tried football. I was horrible at it. I tried soccer. I was horrible at it. I tried wrestling. I was horrible at it. <laughs> and I was horrible at all these sports because I had no self-confidence. Right. And I didn't know what self-confidence was. I didn't have, I didn't have anyone there to tell me what it was. So I just kept guessing. And I just knew one thing is that if, if I wanted to change who I was, I couldn't do it where I was. So I had to leave and start over again. And as soon as I left and joined the army, as soon as that razor touched my head, I knew I was putting on a new uniform. Wow. So you knew, I mean, when, when you went into the military, you knew the military was for you. You, you were meant to be in the military. Is that what you're saying? I was meant to not be where I was. <laughs> it just so happened the military was the way I could get out. You know, I, I like to say I was a patriot and I joined because our family has always been in the military and they have. But my, my true reason was to get out of Dodge, so to say. Yeah. Well, well first of all, thank you so much for your service. Uh, I fly a flag, I mean, in front of my home for many, many years. And uh, I, I, I love America. So thank you for what you've done and thank you for your service. So tell us, I mean, what's, you know, what was that seven years like? Because I, I think you were in the military for right. seven years. And so what was, you know, what was combat like? What was, what was yeah. military like? Tell us your thoughts on that. Well, I went to Fort Knox, Kentucky for boot camp, which was it, it, boot camp and then training. I was on tanks and that was a nine, no, a five month um, um, commitment there. And then I went and got shipped to Germany, which is where I stayed the entire time. I just kept extending, meaning I kept extending my tour and I stayed there. It was glorious. I loved it so much. Um, just, just, just imagine being in a foreign country and not having to deal with anything local, but everything is taken care of for you. I mean, it's, you were like on a silver platter, right? So <clears throat> everything, all the you know, rent was paid. You had a place to sleep. You had food. You had money. You had no, no bills, you know, nothing. And it was just going out and having a great time. And the wall was up. So I'm that old. Uh, so you had right. the, the German wall was up. And we got to patrol that wall and you got to look across the border and see the Russians and the East Germans. And it was, it was, I knew, and I'm very, I'm, I'm the kind of person that says to myself, I'm going to remember this moment in 20 years. And then I actually remember it. So <laughs> when I was back, you know, walking the wall, I, we were walking through the woods and along the border and you go literally directly on the border. So if it goes two degrees left and right, you have to walk exactly two degrees left and right. And um, what happened was, is, we come up to a threshold and there was a, board, a tour bus there and it was full of American tourists. And there I was carrying a big machine gun, sweaty, camouflaged, you know, and people were like, oh my gosh, real. And I just, I just knew, I was like, this is history right here. This is, I'm, I'm in the middle of history. And little did I know a year and a half later, I, was, I would be in Iraq and the wall was down and the whole thing was over, you know, and a whole new era, a whole new, a whole new era began. So this is, you know, the war. Uh, era and the thing about it what people don't, don't forget about this time is when i went to war there was no islamic jihad nothing none, none of that there wasn't any al-qaeda it was nothing there was nothing no no 11 september nothing so for us it was just a war to free um kuwait mm -hmm. and so we went over there and what people forget is we weren't supposed to come back we were the very front so there was a hundred thousand casualties were was, is what they were you know the prognosis was and since we were in the front we knew we weren't coming back so we literally packed boxes one for each family member. And we wrote notes in there and said, if you're reading this, that means I didn't make it back. And so when I was 23 years old, there I was writing my, my will 
and wow. messages to my father, my mother, my brother, my sister about how much I love them and how much I, you know, they meant to me and all these things that you always wanted to say that you never did. Right. And uh, we took off into the desert and just, we, we resigned to not come back. It was like, okay, this is, this is our fate. And I literally saw myself, you know, falling in the desert and being buried in, being buried in Arlington and, you know, moving on. And when that didn't happen, I sort of said, oh, well, now what? Because I already, I already resigned. Now, I, what, what happens now? I had no idea. And it's like my whole world crashed after that. I got back from Iraq and I, I landed in, uh, in Gelnhausen, Germany. And there was no one there, just a few of us. And so I spent a couple of weeks with um, Jack and John, uh, you know, Johnny Walker and Jack Daniels. <laughs> <laughs> they were my friends at the time. And then I decided, okay, I'm going to stick it out for a little bit and see what happens. And I went to... Um, where did I go after that Berlin brigade? So that's where I, I learned uh, Berlin uh, after the wall. And uh, I realized there, nope, I'm done. What, what happened in Iraq, the things that I did, the things that I didn't do more than the things that I did uh, were haunting me. So I decided to get out and I spent six more months in Southern Germany before I got out and moved and did what they call a European out. And I got out directly in Europe. So I didn't even go home. I just got out right then and there and walked off base as a civilian and drove to Berlin. Wow and started trying to learn German and getting a job. As it, and so what, so what kind of job? I mean, you were what? How, how old were you at this point? 27, turning 28. 27, and, and what, what kind of job did you get? I mean, Well, think about it. I was on tanks, right? So I was on tanks patrolling with weapons. What kind of a job could I have gotten? Security, right? That's it. Yeah. And of course, I had no life experience either. So I was basically 19 again. And I got out and, and no one cares. I mean, cause you know, I, I remember you gotta realize when you're in the army, you have awards on this side, you have your name on this side, you have a combat patch, the years of service stripes and everything. Everyone knows who you are just by looking at you and you get used to that. Then you get out and I was a doorman at the hard rock cafe, right? In Berlin. And this kid comes up to me, 14, 15 years old. And I said, excuse me, um, not tonight, you know, only 18 years old and older. And he goes, Oh, loser. Why don't you get a real job? You know, I had just gotten out of, out of war and there I am, you know, and I'm going like, oh. <laughs> you know, and it's really, it really difficult, really difficult not to like ruin his day, you know? And, uh, but I said, you know, I was like, okay, this is, this is a wake up call. It's time to start over again. So I started over again, a new identity. I started embracing the, the local culture. I learned German in six months, um, started doing, um, working in clubs. And then I opened my own cocktail bars uh, and I had a nightclub met everyone from the mayor to the mafia um, and did everything from, yeah, I mean, did everything from do um, TV um, um, moderation for like a, I don't want to say an anchor, but for special events like elections and things, I would do the American election with my American accent, the German all the way to, you know, being put in, in prison for fighting with the mafia guys and, and just not knowing who they were and just ridiculous, just a ridiculous life, <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah. And it all, it but all sort of stories, but some good stories. Oh my God. Some, I could go on for, I could go on for a long time. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think it's just so interesting, man. We, I think we could do about four hours, man. <laughs> uh, so for sure, when you're in California, next time you come and see me, you stay at my house and then oh, we have some kind of all day, brother. Oh man, I'd love to. I'd love to. Love it, love yeah. it, love it. Hey, so, so you know, I mean, obviously that that was rough. I mean, you were 27, 28, trying to figure out your life. You're, you know, bouncing around some businesses, different, you know, situations. Um, you know, when you think about, was there a moment when you said, you know what, 
I want to go into business and, and, and business is where I want to stay. When did that transition happen for you? Well, I gotta be honest in the beginning, um, you know, when I started, I was really good at doing things, um, really good for other people, <laughs> you know, as a soldier. So you're told what to do and you just overachieve. So right. <clears throat> the first real job I had, cause I was, I, w- I had my own bar and I was in the bar and I always had guests. And one of the guests said sometimes, Hey, could you help me bring this, um, South African health club chain to Germany? And me, I always say yes and figure it out later anyway. Right. So, Oh, sure. I'll do it. And so I went in there, had no idea what to do, but I killed it. And a matter of fact, I killed it so much that the, the CEOs uh, from South Africa came up and then promoted me to be general manager of Germany. And I was like, Oh shit, what am I doing now? You know, <laughs> like, right. I had no idea, you know, and I just, just used my intuition. And I read as many books as I could read. I started reading with the one minute manager. Everyone knows that Kenneth Blanchard. Right. And yeah. this is back in 1997, probably eight, 98. And I still remember my, mind you, I still had my cocktail bars all the way up to 2006. So I was, and, and all these um, businesses that I was in, when we had parties or events, they were always in my clubs or my bars. So it was, it was like a double dipping. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just exploded that company. And then I got head headhunted by a British PLC. And I'll never forget the interview. I was sitting up there with a whole board of directors and I didn't need the job. And I was making crazy money uh, back at the day when it was still the D mark, the Deutsche mark. It was before the Euro came. And uh, they asked me all these questions and went through and this, that, and the other. And they said, what do you want from us? And I said, I want to learn something every single day. I want to learn, um, you know, accounting and I want to learn, you know, P&L and all that kind of stuff. And I want to get my MBA. And they said, okay, well, sounds like something we can, we can do. We, you know, we're a PLC. We can take care of that. And um, <clears throat> anything else? And like, I'm like, no. And he said, well, don't you want to know what you're going to earn? <laughs> I totally forgot to ask, you know, for money because I was so excited about that. I was able to learn. Right. right. That was, that they were going to teach me. And that's what I did. I ended up for them. I ended up opening up uh, 35 locations in nine countries and did everything from looking for the location, signing the contracts, negotiations, project management, working with the architects, training the staff, hiring the staff, training the staff, and then running the locations and then doing outreach PR marketing. I did everything you need to do from start to finish to run a business. And then I ended up working for them. I leaving and working for a bunch of other companies and turning them around. So I started turning companies around and then they called me back a few years later. Can you turn around the clubs that you opened in the first place? And then I went back and did a whole tour again of 87 locations in nine countries, returned them around at the same time, started working with German politicians. We founded a, um, a coalition. It's called the civil coalition of Germany, which is now the largest in Germany. And that was 14 years ago. And it just, just, it just skyrocketed. And next thing you know, I'm turning around businesses consulting with politicians, meeting world leaders, uh, going to the ball at the UN and meeting Kofi Annan and Bill Clinton and going to the, the NATO. I mean, it was, just, it was crazy. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, okay, I'm still the soldier because let's face it, no matter how much you earn, no matter where you are, you still have the same insecurities, right? I yeah, mean, they were there, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. So it was surreal for me. I'd, I'd look and go, holy shit, man. There's like Kofi Annan, there's Bill Clinton, there's the Duchess. What am I doing here? Like, right. what am I doing here? You know, right, right, right. but I always held my own. And that's because I, uh, I follow a very clear principle. It's called hit, which we'll talk right. about later. I'm sure. Yeah. 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 Transparency, yeah. About that. yeah let, let's talk about that. I mean, I just, I mean, the, the one thing, I mean, obviously, you know, being in business for so long, you know, there, there's setbacks. Yep. You, you, there are challenges, you know, everything is not a straight line no. up to the top. No. 
And so maybe you can kind of share with us a little bit about some of those setbacks, some (laughs) of the, you know, the, the, the hard times that you went through and how you, you know, made your way out of those situations. Well, I had to do it twice to understand, to actually get the point. So (laughs) the first time was in 2003, uh, 2002, actually, I came home from a, um, a long trip to Chicago. I was working for a, a, a British, a British PLC at the time and an American um, NASDAQ company. We were a fortune 500 company. I was the head of the joint venture and I came home. My wife had an accident and my ex-wife had an accident, broke her back, but left me uh, like two days before that. Um, and the, I, I went home, found that out, went back to work the next day and they said, we're closing the company. The joint venture is done. Right. And I had just lost all my money in a deal. So I, everything in two days was gone. And I mean, everything, right? So I ended up um, just sitting there not knowing what to do. And I figured I'd write it all down. So I wrote down my life and I started when I was a kid until that day. And that book came out uh, three, three weeks later and it was a bestseller overnight. So I, I, yeah, I ended up uh, in German though. It was in German, you know? Oh, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and, uh, so I was on TV for a year and I did TV shows every day, almost every day for a year. And I did a a, a German speaking tour. So I went to Germany, Austria, and Switzerland and read books, read, read for my book. And, um, that was, that was, you know, I, I'll never forget because I, I, oh, I went to a star, what do you call them? An astrologist or whatever they're called a star reader. And she said, you have a choice coming up in front of you. You're going to see a door. You're going to take that door. It's going to change your life forever. Or you're going to see the same and you'll be at this place again sometime down the road. Well, I didn't see the door obviously <laughs> because I went back into the, after about a year. Now you got to realize when I was on TV, here's the book. I don't know if you're going to do video or not, but here's okay. the book. It's, it's served in the Gulf from soldier to cynic. And so when I, um, what, what, what was the title served in the Gulf from soldier to cynic? From soldier to cynic. So can you kind of explain that title real quick? Yes. It's all about the, what happens to the inside of, of a, of an ultra patriot when they get faced with reality of going to war and having to see what they see and do what they do. And like I said, more, um, more tragic is what you're not allowed to do or what you didn't allow yourself to do when you know you should have. Uh, so it was all, it was, it's all about the personal journey and the struggles inside. It wasn't about where we were at the 49th parallel, you know, it wasn't like that at all. It wasn't a war book. It was a book about me in war gotcha. and it really exploded. I mean, people to this day, it's a bestseller. I just, I just had a, I just spoke last weekend and I had 25 books that were gone in like two seconds. Wow. And yeah, it's crazy. And it's, it's because it's a true story and it's real and it's, it's not about, no one wants to hear about the tanks, how many rounds we fired. You know, they, they, they want to know, how did you deal with it, man? What happened to you? How did you get where you are now? Like the questions you're asking are very relevant. So that was my first crash and, um, I didn't get it. So I went back into business again and I was doing really well. And in 2008, I crashed again and I crashed really hard because I had my money with my brother, my twin brother who lives in Pennsylvania, works for Wells Fargo now as a, a wealth manager, but we used to have a mortgage bank with Flagstar. And of course, you know what happened to the mortgage industry right, right, one right. day. One day, everything, every one day. I mean, it was like, you wake up in the morning, like what, where's all the money? And of course, yeah. So my, my brother, Scott, uh, he really got hit hard. I was lucky cause I wasn't in debt, but I still didn't have any money. Right. Um, so I couldn't pay any bills. I was homeless. So I, li- I literally on the street within two days, you know, I strung it out for a little bit. And then I, 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 I had a toxic relationship at the time 
and she was really hard on me, loser, you know, like really went bad. And I went to try to commit suicide. So I pulled a gun and, you know, this whole thing. And this is in Germany. That doesn't happen in Germany. And then a series of situations happened um, where I was confronted by the police. I grabbed their weapon, uh, tried to, you know, grab the weapon and shoot myself. And that sort of didn't work out. So I sort of went home and was going to do it again with a knife. And I was a knock at the door. And it was a uh, policewoman who I tried to grab the weapon from. And she said, are you okay? And I was like, what, what are you doing here? And she walked in, grabbed my hand and pulled a knife out of my hand and sat me down and said, this is not you. I know you. I was at one of your book readings, right? I know who you are. I know who you are. This is not who you are. You're going to be, you're going to be, you're going to fall in love. You're going to get married. You're going to have children. It's going to have an amazing life. And you're going to spread love around the whole world. And I was like, wow. And then she left and I was standing there going, was that real? Like to this day, I don't even know if it was real or if it was me in some psychotic sort of stand. I don't know, you know, but it stopped me from doing what I was doing. And so I called a friend, Michael from Austria and said, Michael, either you get me out of here right now or I'm not going to be here tomorrow. So he sent a plane ticket and I got on a plane, flew to Austria. Uh, and he dumped me into a monastery with uh, Benedictine monks where I spent, yeah, where I spent the next six months just finding out who I was. Wow. And that's when it finally hit me. You got to change, man. You got to change the world out there. The business is out there. Competition is not the way forward, right? Embracing it is, is the way forward. Competition is a scarcity mindset, right? right. Um, you know, there's enough to go around. There's enough for everybody. Explain, explain that. Explain that. What do you mean by that? Competition is a scarcity mindset. Well, competition means, okay, if, if I'm competing for something, it means there's only one or we're fighting over something or we're fighting over audiences or something. Or we're fighting over customers. There's more than enough to go around. Even if every, everybody on the planet was a millionaire, there'd still be more. Why? Because it always is provided by us. We perpetuate whatever we need. Humans, we're amazing at it. The universe, the source, God, Allah, whoever you want to call it, right? It's, it's self-perpetuating. We create our own reality every single day. And if we know that, and, 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 and I know, and I preach this and I practice this, is that we only have now, right now, always right now. There's no tomorrow. There's no yesterday. The only thing I can do for tomorrow is change something today to make tomorrow different, but I can't change tomorrow. So, I when, I focus, so when I focus on today and don't worry about tomorrow and don't worry about yesterday, life is amazing. Amazing. And that's how I do business. I literally, that's how I, I, do I, business. Think that, I think that's incredible because, I mean, literally, I mean, for as long as I can remember, I tell people that, you know, whatever you think about with passion and courage and determination will ultimately become your reality. I mean, it's, it's the right. things you focus on that are becoming your ultimate reality. And so exactly. we look back at the challenges that we've had, we've always been the ones that have, you know, unconsciously, obviously, yeah. have yeah. been creating that reality. The mistakes, the, the, the choices, yep. the decisions, the, they've just been stacking on top of each other to create that reality. Would you agree with that? And it's funny. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're, you're walking right down my path, brother. I mean, this is exactly how I speak because even stacking, that word stacking you use, I use a concept um, uh, called habit stacking, right? So when, when I want to change my world, I change my habits. And you can't change your habits overnight. So what you do is your habit stack. So you take a habit. And it's, this is from James Clear, by the way, who wrote, wrote the book, uh, Atomic Habits. You take um, <clears throat> a habit you already have, like brushing your teeth every morning, and you put your journal beside your toothbrush. That way, you'll never forget to journal if you want to start journaling, right? Or at night, you put it on your pillow or these things. So I habit stack. But what you're talking about is our, our routines and our habits and everything. 
to make our life real, there's a way to steer that. And I have a course called the last goal setting course you'll ever need. And it's all about finding your identity, finding your goals, a minimum 100 goals for the next 30 years. People think that's freaky, but when I explain it to you, it makes sense. And then you connect your identity to the goals through the habits, through the habit stacking and through routines and procedures. And what happens there is you create what I call the most massive power that a human can have. And that is certainty. Because when you're certain of something, you don't even think about it anymore because it just happens, right? Imagine living your life. And every time you want to have, you have a goal, you construct your life so that you're certain of your goal, you don't have to worry about it anymore. And I've done it over. And this house that I'm in right now, this amazing house in the middle of Hungary with this huge backyard, manicured gardens, three months it took me from idea to having it. Because oh. I was so certain. We were, matter of fact, we moved in and my wife and I, we even did a vision board for this house after we visioned it. And we moved in and we're like, this isn't new. We've been here. Like this is, we've always been here, haven't we? And we're, she's like, yeah, this is so strange. It's not, it's not even a new house to us because we were that far certain that it was going to happen, that we were already living in it before we lived in it. Hey, sweet, sweet, sweet. <laughs> Love that stuff, man. I mean, I'm telling you, I mean, everything <laughs> that has happened to me you're explaining right now. I mean, why it happened, how it happened, being certain, being focused, dreaming bigger, uh, yep. having to do it now mindset, all that stuff, you know, knowing that, that there's a law of abundance. I mean, there's enough to go around for everybody. Everybody Always. can have a beautiful home. It's the limitations that we put on our mind and our thinking and the universe that are stopping us. So yep. great, great stuff. I love this, Steven. So tell me, what does hit mean? Hit. 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 Oh man, hit. You know, hit. I hit was born um, when I when I had my book and I got on my first TV show. I literally the book came out on a Thursday, on a Friday, and on a Saturday, it was just came out on a Thursday, and on a Saturday there was the war broke out in in, in Iraq in two thousand three. So they had a live TV show in German TV with the German um, German American um, ambassador, the, the British American ambassador. Sir Peter Ustinov, all these like, you know, politicians of famous people. And then me <laughs> on this talk show. And there was like 15 million viewers and they, and I went up there and everyone who got asked a question, I said, talk to Mr. Kuhn, talk to Mr. Kuhn. He was in war. Only he knows like no one would answer the question because there was a guy there who was in a war. Right. So I was the only one. And they asked me, said, Mr. Kuhn, do you support this war? And that was the first time anyone asked me that. And my patriot inside of me said, of course, I, of course, I'm American, I, you know, but that's when hit was born because I said, no, wait a second. I, um, first I was transparent about what I really thought with myself. I mean, sorry, honest about what I thought with myself and the honesty that I have with myself. That's the H hit. Yeah. The T the transparency is how I communicate that honesty to the world around me, meaning 100% brutal, honest. Right. And the byproduct of honesty and transparency is integrity because you can't, be integrity you you are it's a byproduct of how you are who you are and what you are so that was when it was born i actually said no i am not behind this war i respect america the, the the office of the president i love my country but i am not behind this war and man did i get lambasted from uh, the american press you know of course uh, over there and what happened was is i even said in that moment this is our next vietnam this will be this will be longer than 10 years and everyone thought i was nuts on the 10-year anniversary they all called me back to tv and asked me how i knew i said intuition that that didn't make him very happy because they 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 want to hear oh you know i knew this guy and that guy and you know whatever so um yeah the whole the whole process of hit was born like that then i realized okay if i'm always honest with myself right 
And the key thing about being honest with yourself is being honest about your expectations too. So this is the point of hit honesty with yourself, transparency with others about those, that, that honesty byproduct is integrity. That makes you authentic. The authenticity allows you to create your own market value, which I do right. because you live and here it comes without expectations, meaning either I have an expectation of you and I verbalize it or I have no expectation. And the same thing goes for you. If you have an expectation of me, unless you verbalize it, I will not react to your right. expectation. And that's true freedom for me. That allows you to tiptoe through the tulips through the entire globe and never have a care. It's incredible. So that's where hit came from. But hit itself is actually the practice. Um, like some, like for instance, sometimes you go to a meeting, you don't have a solution, right? So we simply in hit, we commit to the other person through honesty and take a transparency and do what I call invest in relational capital. So you give, give, give to the persons around you, to the relationships around you, right? This ensures that we can always show up everywhere, fully committed to others. And what that does is that builds infinite, infinite amounts of radiant value in your life enterprise. So let me explain life enterprise. This is probably too much for everybody, but let me explain life enterprise real quick. I believe that if we treat our life, everything in it, like a life enterprise, like a business enterprise, and we as a CEO are always responsible to who? The stakeholders, right? We're responsible to the stakeholders. So if we treat everyone in our life enterprise as a stakeholder and treat them with respect and courage and honesty and integrity and transparency, uh, but also make it a point to leave them in a better place than when we met them. So if I meet you today, I'm hoping that when we're done, you'll be in a better place. You'll feel better or something is when I leave. And when you do that, that creates that massive radiant value all the way around you where people just want to be with you. Right. And I can't even tell you how amazing it is when you go to a networking event. It's just, you just own the room in five minutes. Right. Because zero expectation. Because you're different. Be because yeah. you're different. Because everybody else is looking out only for yeah. their own interests. Yeah. Yep. They're, they're just give me, give me, give me versus how can invest, I invest, bring invest. value to you? Yeah. Invest, 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 invest yeah. in relational capital all the time. I mean, committing to the person in the moment, right? That's key is that I commit to you fully when I'm with you. I have no expectations. I have no forethought. I have no thoughts of what I want to say or what I want to do. I take it in the moment. And this is, you know, this is how a lot of people struggle with the certainty that leads to abundance because they're trying to figure it out before it's even there. Right. Right. But if we commit ourselves to the value that we can deliver to another, another person in that very, very moment, we automatically create the radiant value that attracts more opportunities to make more money and become more abundant. A lot of, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs are listening to this right now and, uh, or watching it on YouTube. But, uh, you know, the, I think one of the challenges, especially in the early days of being an entrepreneur, it, and you talk about leading from the front and why right. it's so important that you lead. So what does leading from the front mean to you? How do you define that? That doesn't mean doing everything yourself. It definitely doesn't mean that. When you lead from the front, it means you have to have the view of the entire thing. You have to understand what it means to be a hitpreneur. So a hitpreneur, <laughs> of course, got to have a name for it, right? Like hitpreneur, right. A hitpreneur is someone who understands 360 degrees of the business. They understand everything about their business, but they're typically only good at one or two things. So to be able to manage all the processes in your business and know what they're doing, to be, to, to, to be able to manage your, uh, your own business, but with their, with their um, let's say, working capital. 
because they have to do the work for you, your employees, your volunteers, your friends. Like I, almost everyone who works with me is either a partner or a volunteer because people who volunteer, I coach them in their business automatically. And those who are partners with me, they really carry a heavy load. And I do what I do best. And that's pretty much what I do now. So, you know, in my online groups that we have, you know, the, the entrepreneur group that we have, um, we're launching a new a entire new campaign on Friday. It should, it should be amazing. Um, that's all run by other people. I show up, I do the hot seats. I, I solve the problems for people, give them tools to work with. And then off they go. And I have people, for instance, like you, I'd all invite into the, to the course as well. And you can teach to all of the students on a Thursday night. We have what's called a professional night. So people that are specifically good at one thing, like we have um, already lined up uh, Tim story, um, Roland Fraser. Um, um, we have the dollar beard club founder, just people like that coming in, teaching our students, uh, you know, specific parts of the business. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty amazing. The, the leading from the front means knowing what everyone's doing. Okay. All right. So that, that's what it means to you is, is right. understanding what people are good at. And then you have to be, you have to take care of what you got to take care of. I mean, that's, that's yeah, you do what you're good at. Front. There's yeah. no sense. Look, if, 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 if I'm, I'm, I'm proficient at something really, really good, I'd rather make it that 1% you know, better than trying to find what I'm bad at making that 10% better. Cause I'll still be 50% less than I am at the other thing. So why even bother get someone who loves to do it, who will do it because they're empowered and they feel like a part of the team. And they're going to say, Steve, look what I did. And you'd be like, Oh my God, that's amazing. Thank you so much. And that's something that I would hate to do myself. Like I have a partner lane Balone. Uh, he's 30 years old. I'm 51 people. It's very uncommon uh, partnership, but the guy's amazing. He does all of the writing and the admin and the organization and he loves it. He thrives it. He's special forces. That's what they did. Right. 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 right Me, right. I don't, I can't stand that stuff. And he thrives on that. And that's why we're such great partners. I love seeing him thrive, you know, and, and so, he loves so seeing what, me thrive. I, I know you were talking about um, some non-traditional things that you do with building teams. Cause a lot of the people listening right now, they're all team builders, man. They're building teams, they're building organizations, they're recruiting, they're training, they're coaching. And so what are some of the non-traditional things that you do that might be interesting for us to know? Well, I, I don't know how non-traditional they are, but for instance, with Lane, uh, you know, I go to Peru every year. So I, I go to um, Cusco and we have um, ceremonies with ayahuasca and San Pedro. And this is how I get that massive certainty that I can create anything on the planet. So I've been doing that for 14 years. And I usually try and bring my partners with me there Okay. Um, and we go through a process. It's a 10 day process of, of getting to know each other's sort of um, skill set, I guess you will, if you will. And then we become bonded basically forever. Uh, that's one of the ways that we work together. <clears throat> Another way is, is literally allowing them to make the mistakes and then repair and fix those mistakes and then make the mistakes again. Just so they, they, they understand that it's not bad making the mistake. The, the bad thing is not even trying. Right, um, right. So I'm, I'm always building that into my business. I'm building into mistakes. I'm building in sort of a loss here or, you know, losing some money there or someone dropping off there. I'm always building that in. Um, but so of you're course, not, you're not afraid. So you're not afraid of failure. No, I mean, because look, under, you embrace failure. Wait, and not only do I embrace it, I look for it because like, okay, if this guy's going to fail like this, what can I do to make sure that I don't carry him? So he actually learns from this, right? Like I want them to learn from that. Nothing for me is more gratifying than seeing someone grow. And when I'm, when I have fear, I, for me, fear is the door to greatness. It's, it's, it's like walking into a dark basement and just going in going, yes, bomb, I'm here. What do you got? What do you got? 
You know, this is how I pro when, when, when I get nervous, for instance, when I have that imposter syndrome, when I was, um, hanging out with the Duchess of Oldenburg and, you know, the, I was invited to Prince Harry's 18th birthday party with her. And, uh, I was like, what, what? And I said, no, I'm here, man. Let's do this right here. You know? And it's just funny. Boom. Everybody accepted me as one of them, just like that. Just because my attitude on the inside changed. Right, right, you know, right. and that's why I love fear because when I I don't get I don't have fear very often anymore because I've pretty much done crazy stuff all the way up to the top, and uh, but one thing I did I did have sort of uh, nervous was when I was supposed to meet Steve Bannon and uh, you know Bush uh, um, uh, Trump and all this kind of stuff, and it didn't work out. But I was like, oh man, what am I going to say? And I was like, wait a second, you don't have to worry about that. Hitman, yeah. you know, they call me the hitman because you know honesty and take transparency. Just say what you say. So- Done. Yeah, and so tell, tell me, tell me about uh, because you know I, I thought it was interesting when you talked about beneficial relationships and why those are so important. So tell me about beneficial relationships and why just even you know a small entrepreneur needs to understand how to create relationships and why to create relationships with the right people. Okay, well, let me give you a story to, to back that up. So I've been, I've been uh, cultivating relationships since I remember, since I can remember. There's people in the military that, that, that call me and talk about how I helped them and did things for, with no expectations. And um, <clears throat> so just recently, I, I found a, I was, I have a client who brought me on to consult his clients. Uh, he's a marketing agency. They do about a um, hundred million dollars a month in ad spend. So they're very big. They did a billion dollars of sales last year. And they said to me, um, maybe you can help us find clients. Right. And so I just uh, sat back and I, I looked at their business model and I looked and I have a hundred clients for them right now. Like I can literally walk out. Why? Cause I have relationships with these people. They trust me. I've done something for them for, be, before and they are, they're looking to scale their business. So what I did this time, instead of just connecting them is I actually took equity in their companies. So in two months, in two months, I introduced 14 of those companies to this agency. They formed a partnership and I have 3% equity in my contacts company now. Wow. and 5% and the 5% revenue share of the upside every month. So in three years, cause it's a term of three years and three years when I sell all of those companies, 3%, you're looking at about three to $5 million right there. Wow. And I did that in two months. That's just an example of the monetary side of, of relationship. And they all did it. They said, Steve, are you sure you only want 3%? Because they said, you do so much for us already. I'm just so happy to be able to pay you back. You know, and that's why relationships are, are, are crucial because it's no work for me. You know, it's no work for me. I basically just made, you know, ever, however many million dollars in three years. And all I did was introduce them. Right, right, right. And people but say, oh, well, that's not ethical introduction fee. I'm like, no, you don't understand that relationship that I have. I've cultivated for 25, 10, absolutely. whatever, how many years. Exactly. And they're like, Steve, let me pay you. Right. So well, this is relationship. It, to me, it's, I think a lot of people, especially small business owners, I think that they underestimate the power of relationships and also underestimate the power of building relationships with people in power. Yeah. So they don't realize that there are certain people that have a little bit more power and it probably would behoove you to build a relationship with that person and create a good bond and a good relationship. And, hey, why not, why not every once in a while, you know, I mean, you know, we just met somebody that 
you know, pretty powerful in, in the media business. And, and so, you know, we didn't just go see it. We, you know, we took a bottle of really nice champagne yeah. when we went and saw them, you know, it's yeah. like, you know, think about the people that you're meeting and think about not, not necessarily just because I want something from them. If you want to be, I mean, we want to build a relationship with the people anyways. They're fun people. Right. And we think they're right. great right. friends. So we're thinking, why not? Why not build great relationships? That's one of my intentions in my, yes. I have a little dream video that I've made through the years, kind of like my goal sheet. Right. And, 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 but one of my, uh, my goals have always been build great relationships with great people. And yeah. you have no idea how my life is better today because of oh, that. I can imagine. I can imagine. And it's the whole point is this is I, I build relationships with everyone who comes into my life. And sometimes it's a minute, sometimes it's a, it's a lifetime. And right. what you also got to realize is that I'm sure you, I mean, I mean, I know you know this is that you also got to be willing to cut those relationships uh, when it's time to grow, because what happens is you get into a certain level and you get stuck there because they won't let you go. Right. right? right. And um, I've been doing that for years and it's, it's, it's um, that doesn't mean you, leave them forever. It just means you don't, you don't spend your time with them anymore. You go visit right. them once in a while. And, uh, the, 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 the powerful relationships there, here's a tip I can give everybody. When you ask somebody, Hey, do you know, you know, I don't know. Do you know George Bush? No, but I know somebody who knows George Bush or do you know somebody who knows George Bush? And everyone's looking for that, that 10th degree of connection that I can right. sort of just go direct, go direct, go right to the top. Go right to George Bush. Go right to uh, Bill, whoever you want to talk to. Go right to the top. I've never had them say no, not one time. And I always go to the top. And, you know, people are so scared to, to, to directly, call, even me. I, people, some guy connected me on Instagram. Hey, could we possibly have a call? And I'm like, sure. And he was like, can I, can I take a picture? I can't believe you're talking to me. You know, it's like, well, yeah. But no one ever asked for it, do they? That's it. That's it. No one ever asked that's, for it. That's the biggest lesson of, of them all is yep. asking you shall receive. It's just mind-boggling how many things you get in life. If you just open your mouth ask. and ask for the things that you want. <laughs> Stephen, this is awesome, man. I've, I've had such an amazing time. I just want to let everybody know that this is the Wealth on the Beach podcast with Stephen Kuhn, the great Stephen Kuhn. Uh, this has been so much fun. I mean, look, guys, I mean, he, he was a bodyguard for Mick Jagger. I mean, he went, that's, talk about going straight from the top. I mean, you know, came from kind of a, a rough upbringing, divorced parents, uh, lost everything twice. So let me tell you something. If you haven't even lost everything once, then you better get <laughs> off the effing couch and go get shit done today. Uh, because, you know, I mean, the guy, I mean, he's, you know, suicidal at one point. Um, you know, and then started figuring out that he needs to stack his habits, get the habits right, uh, became a hitman, uh, and understood that honesty and transparency, uh, bonded with integrity is really the, 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 you know, the, you know, the way to go, the, the way yep. to get to that next level in life. And, uh, you know, what a, what an amazing story. Uh, Stephen has, you know, allowing people to make mistakes, looks for failure, and, and, you know, has built some incredible relationships with some incredible people that have not only probably enhanced his life in the fun that he's had in his life, but also has been able to create some incredible monetary uh, opportunities yeah. for him. And so what a fun, fun thing. Um, so, so Stephen, you know, last thing, man, I mean, 
where are you going next and how do we connect with you? We want to know because there are people that maybe they want to be in your course. Maybe they want to reach out to you and have you as a mentor or something like that. How do we right. connect with you and, and, and where, what's the next step for you, man? Well, for, well, the next step for me is we're launching that we're launching the online course called the, um, the Immediate Impact Revenue Program because I have a way that I've been using to turn these businesses around all these years, and it's it's called re recovering dormant revenue. So I look at your revenue streams, what you already have in place. Without spending any money, we can make you more money. Um, you know, I have a I have a roofing guy who who does who does roofs in Texas, and we you know we found 250k just lying around his business within the first hour. And he was like, what? So, you know, that's, that's sort of what I do. And I teach that in that course. Now that course is um, the immediate impact revenue program. You can Google it. You'll find it. It's launching the, the first, um, let's call it the webinar. It's launching on Friday. So it's uh, the link should be up tonight sometime. Otherwise um, just my email, I'll give it, I'll give it out to your, to you guys. It's Steven Eugene Kuhn at gmail.com. Uh, Steven Eugene Kuhn at gmail.com. My, my website is Steven Kuhn. KUHN.com. Um, and as far as what's next, I, I like to leave part of that open, but I do have my 30 year goals and, <laughs> you know, it's uh, li living in Hungary and in Berlin and in America. Uh, I think, I think being geographically independent and financially independent is just for me, the number one thing. And I have two kids, three and five years old, or sorry, four and five years old. Ooh. And uh, it's, it's, for me, it's about them getting as much international uh, exposure as they can right now. They both speak three languages. So that's even for me, pretty amazing. Well, I speak English to them. My wife speaks Hungarian to them and they go to school where they speak German. So, <laughs> so, you know. so cool. Yeah. Well, Steven, this has been so much fun. I mean, seriously, I uh, just want to every, remind everybody, share this podcast, share it with everybody, you know, uh, you know that you have not shared it with enough people yet. So just today, <laughs> today decide that you're going to share it. But seriously, follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're still signing people up every single day for our Wealth on the Beach Club. Every week you get one full hour with me, lessons, and Q&A. Uh, check out our, our, our website, alonzoacademy.com, for more details. Please subscribe to all my YouTube uh, channel um, or please subscribe to my YouTube channel for all the free content that you could imagine. But I really want to remind you to dream bigger than ever, but make sure that you do it now. God bless you. We'll see you at the top.